your boy Shakespeare. No, I'm just kidding. It's Jake J. Thomas. You know me. Jake J. Thomas photo. You can follow me on Instagram at Becoming Shakespeare. But don't forget to check out my website at jakejthomasphoto.com. That's where you can catch my blog and learn some great ideas about content marketing and how to get your stuff out there so your message can be seen and heard by people. This uh, series, I'm reading through Shakespeare's sonnets and uh, changing the conversation. The potential we have together united by this technology through which I'm reaching you right now is tremendous. We have more ability to connect with each other than ever before in human history. And we're at the nascent stages of that. The baby toddler barely could walk getting out of getting out of the crib kind of vibe. And it's going to get better. That's what I want to tell you fine folks out there. It's going to get better. I don't think there is any going back in a way that is productive. But going forward, I'm sure we can do better. And we bring the past with us. We can't go back to the past, but we can learn from the past. And one of the ways we can do that is by reading some of the writers who helped to shape the present. And surely Shakespeare is one of those. At least here in the United States, I know most people read Shakespeare when they're in high school. A truly ridiculous time to try to take on the tremendous challenge of the bard. It's just not the right time. And unfortunately, I believe that makes most people not get Shakespeare. But that's okay. I'm here to help out with that. This is for people who are wanting to stretch their minds, who want to dig in and challenge themselves intellectually. The sonnets are like verbal um, obstacle courses or tough mutters. A sonnet is a tough mutter, baby. You got to get through it. You got to power your way up and over. And It's not easy. We have a lot of physical challenges that people like to do and celebrate. And I say, hey, let's also do some intellectual challenges. That just seems right to me. I mean, why wouldn't we? What do we have to lose? Okay, I want to just check the sound real quick. And then I'm going to get into sonnet number 21. Sonnet 21. So, 
Is it not with me as with that muse stirred by a painted beauty to his verse who heaven itself for ornament doth use and every fair with his fair doth rehearse making a couplement of proud compare with sun and moon with earth and sea's rich gems with april's firstborn flowers and all things rare that heaven's air in this huge rondure hems oh let me true in love but truly right and then believe me my love is as fair as any mother's child though not so bright as those gold candles fixed in heaven's air let them say more that like of hearsay well i will not praise that purpose not to sell okay in this sonnet we have a very interesting set of things happening um, I'm going to talk for just a second about metaphors and this is this is changing the conversation my, my people you haven't heard people talking about metaphors today have you what they are how they're constructed why they're effective why they're important the metaphor is a writer's tool to describe something that is known in a way that reveals something felt or other or undisclosed about the subject it's a way of shaping and giving form to a subject in a unique way there's an endless potential for metaphors we take the thing that you're trying to describe and you use another thing that has maybe some sort of overlapping aspect that you want to uh, focus on in the subject that you are describing so you're using another thing to describe the thing that you want to talk about and uh, in this poem Shakespeare refers to the metaphors as making a couplement of proud compare but he's he's criticizing so he begins the poem you can create a metaphor or a simile by saying that something is like something else or you can say that something is not like something else and in the negation of the comparison you get a different type of comparison he says so it is not with me as with that muse stirred by a painting beauty to his verse so the difference here he's comparing himself to other poets but he's saying it's not i'm not like those poets that are moved by poetry that are moved by art who look at a painting and then go to write and the way they write he doesn't like either first of all he doesn't like the fact that they have or he belittles the fact 
or or just separates himself from the fact that these poets have chosen an art an artifact to fall in love with he thinks that is to begin with already an inferior strategy but then they go on to heaven who heaven itself for ornament doth use so they go on to use heaven itself as the metaphor i mean if you think about love songs or bad love poetry of course that's you know heaven is always the hack trope that people go to and every fair with his fair doth rehearse making a couplement of proud compare he says so by comparing their love which is really just a painting to the beauties of the world they're trying to create this positive image of the thing that they love with sun and moon with earth and seas rich gems with april's firstborn flowers and all things rare so it's like this gathering of treasures to try to build up in metaphor the value of this love but Shakespeare doesn't go in for all of that in fact he says oh let me true in love but truly right and then believe me my love is as fair as any mother's child and so he's saying he's calling out these poets and saying you've fallen in love with paintings first of all using some hack metaphors second of all and so why bother with these fakers they're not real they're not being honest but me because i am true in love when i write simply when i just truly write my love appears as fair as any mother's child which is real and this is a brilliant set of strategies because he's calling out the fakers and saying hey I don't need all of that. I don't need flowery language or heavenly metaphors to describe my love. All I need to be is honest. And I think that in itself is a poetics and it's a valuable statement. It's something interesting for sure. And uh, it's a way of using a negative metaphor to really point to something poignant. So, Sonnet 21. So is it not with me as with that muse, stirred by a painted beauty to his verse, who heaven itself for ornament doth use, and every fair with his fair doth rehearse, making a couplement of proud compare, with sun and moon, with earth and seas rich gems with april's firstborn flowers and all things rare that heaven's air in this huge rondure hymns oh let me true in love but truly right and then believe me my love is as fair as any mother's child though not so bright as those gold candles fixed in heaven's air
Let them say more that like of hearsay well. I will not praise that purpose not to sell. And so again, even it's in saying what he won't do, he's building up his credibility, which is a rhetorical device, right? It's the believability has to do with a lot of things, but it also one of the main things that has to do is the way we feel about the speaker. And so when the speaker points to what they are not, it kind of gives us some sort of way of thinking about, you know, how they're representing themselves. They're self-aware. They're put, putting themselves in the context of other writers. Sonnet 22. My glass shall not persuade me I am old. So long as youth and thou are of one date. But when in thee time's furrows I behold, then look I death my days should expiate. For all that beauty that doth cover thee is but the seemly raiment of my heart, which in thy breast doth live as thine in me. How can I then be elder than thou art? O oh, therefore, love, be of thyself so wary, as I, not for myself, but for thee will, bearing my heart, which I will keep so cherry, as tender nurse her babe from faring ill. Presume not on thy heart when mine is slain. Thou gavest me thine not to give back again. Wow, this one is a trippy one, a deep one. It's about this this romantic entanglement, this intertwining of their beings. And it's also pointing to the age difference between them. But it's also pointing to... Now, this would be... A, a place where one could think that the person he's referring to, the the subject of the poem, or the addressee of the poem, is an actor. Somebody who Shakespeare has had a hand in building up their reputation. And if you think back on the poem... just a little earlier where he said he's his mistress master mistress he talks about the person being made beautiful as a woman but then nature fell in love with her and turned her into a man I think that poem also could suggest that this is an actor, someone who Shakespeare has written for, written about and written for, put on the stage. But he's also talking about the coexistence of the two together in this experience of love that by 
falling in love. And let's just say it is the actor. If Shakespeare falls in love with this actor for their beauty, for their ability to do what he wants them to do on stage, then the actor mutually falls in love with the dialogue that the writer gives to them. The the framing of their attributes, the separation of them from the crowd. And so there's this, in this entanglement, both are equally caught up. Sonnet 22. My glass, my glass being the mirror, shall not persuade me I am old, so long as youth and thou are of one date. But when in thee time's furrows I behold, he's already talked about time carving furrows into the forehead, like a kind of reaper, a kind of agricultural decay. Then I then look I, death my days should expiate. So I'm not going to, I don't, I won't feel old, no matter how old I get, as long as you are young. But when I see you start to get old, then I know my time is almost up. For all that beauty that doth cover thee is but the seemly raiment of my heart. And this is where he's taking his credit for his part of the entanglement, that the beauty that surrounds this subject is the product the fabrication of the poet's heart which in thy breast doth live as thine in me the sense of this person as being beautiful they've been made beautiful known to be beautiful by the writer and so that common thing between them the thing they've built together depends upon each of them how can I then be older than thou art oh therefore love be of thyself so wary as I not for myself but for thee will bearing thy heart which I will keep so cherry as tender nurse her babe from faring ill so now he's asking the subject to be careful and agreeing that in return the writer will take care as well. Presume not on thy heart when mine is slain. Thou gavest me thine not to give back again. So he's kind of suggesting that this love bond is to the death. And that they are inextricably intertwined and cannot be separated except for by death. Sonnet 22. My glass shall not persuade me I am old, so long as youth and thou are of one date. But when in thee time's furrows I behold, then look I death my days should expiate. 
For all that beauty that doth cover thee is but the seemly raiment of my heart, which in thy breast doth live as thine in me. How can I then be older than thou art? O therefore, love, be of thyself so wary, as I, not for myself, but for thee will, bearing thy heart, which I will keep so cherry, as tender nurse her babe from faring ill. Presume not on thy heart when mine is slain. Thou gavest me thine, not to give back again. Sonnet 23 Begins with a simile. As. As or like those signals that this comparison is symbolic. As an unperfect actor on the stage, who with his fear is put beside his part, or some fierce thing replete with too much rage, whose strength's abundance weakens his own heart. So I, fear of trust, forget to say. So I, for fear of trust, forget to say the perfect ceremony of love's rite, and in mine own love's strength seem to decay, or charged with burden of mine own love's might. O oh, let my books then be, be then the eloquence, and dumb presagers of my speaking breast, who plead for love and look for recompense, more than that tongue that more hath more expressed. O oh, learn to read what silent love hath writ, to hear with eyes belongs to love's fine wit. Oh, so much good stuff in this poem, but I just want to point to that final phrase, love's fine wit. Very cool concept um but first there's this metaphor this double metaphor there's two things being compared to the subject to the to the speaker of the poem to the persona so he's saying i okay for let's look at the two images first of all unperfect actor on the stage with fears put beside his part or some fierce thing replete with too much rage, whose strength's abundance weakens his own heart. So when an actor blacks out on stage, is too afraid and cannot remember their lines, or when something is so angry that they can't even remember who they are. So these two images of people who are beside themselves, one because they're so afraid of being on the spot and being looked at, they can't remember their lines. The other one is somebody who's so upset, so, you know, rageful that they can't remember their own lines. He says, I'm like that because I fear to, I fear, I don't trust. I fear. Therefore, I forget to say, I love you. But if 
you look in my books and you read between the lines, you'll find that I have expressed that there. And this is such a brilliant thing because he's saying, hey, it's not because I'm, it's not out of weakness that I don't confess my love for you. It is because I am so moved. But read the poems and you'll find out. You know, and so that's like a great advertisement for his own reading, reading his own work. A very cool double metaphor to begin the poem. And just this very cool idea that love can be decoded in writing. Sonnet 23. As an unperfect actor on the stage, who with his fear is put beside his part, or with some fierce thing replete with too much rage, whose strength's abundance weakens his own heart, so I, for fear of trust, forget to say the perfect ceremonies, the perfect ceremony of love's right. And in mine own love's strength seem to decay, or charged with burden of mine own love's might. O oh, let my books be then the eloquence and dumb presagers of my speaking breast, who plead for love and look for recompense, more than that tongue that more hath more expressed. O oh, learn to read what silent love hath writ to hear with eyes belongs to love's fine wit to hear with eyes silent love hath writ i know it's awkward a lot of the the older english uh hath thou this and that but i hope you're still getting the point getting the idea one more time, Sonnet 23. As an unperfect actor on the stage, who with his fear is put beside his part, or some fierce thing replete with too much rage, whose strength's abundance weakens his own heart. So I, for fear of trust, forget to say the perfect ceremony of love's right. And in mine own love's strength, seem to decay or charged with burden of mine own love's might oh let my books be then the eloquence and dumb presagers of my speaking breast who plead for love and look for recompense more than that tongue that more hath more expressed oh learn to read what silent love hath writ to hear with eyes belongs to love's fine wit sonnet 24 mine eye hath played the painter and hath stilled thy beauty's form in table of my heart my body is the frame wherein tis held in perspective it is best painter's art 
For through the painter must you see his skill to find where your true image pictured lies, which in my bosom's shop is hanging still, that hath his windows glazed with thine eyes. Now see what good turns eyes for eyes have done. Mine eyes have drawn thy shape, and thine for me are windows to my breast, where, where through the sun delights to peep, to gaze therein on thee. Yet eyes this cunning want to grace their art. They draw but what they see, know not the heart. I read it again before I jump into trying to understand parts of it. Sonnet 24. Mine eye hath played the painter, and hath stilled thy beauty's form and table of my heart. My body is the frame wherein tis held. In perspective, it is best painter's art. For through the painter must you see his skill to find where your true image pictured lies, which in my bosom's shop is hanging still, that hath his windows glazed with thine eyes. Now see what good turns eyes for eyes have done. Mine eyes have drawn thy shape, and thine for me are windows to my breast, where through the sun delights to peep, to gaze therein on thee. Yet eyes this cunning want to grace their art. They draw but what they see, know not the heart. Okay, so then again, earlier I was talking about the metaphor of the painter. Uh, and nature as a painter, the subject as a painter, now the poet as a painter. And uh, the eyes as being how we see, but also a thing of beauty to other people. And that the beauty that is inspired in the poet by seeing their love's eyes attracts the curiosity of the son who likes who's turned into a peeping tom to look into the heart of the poet to see the beauty of the subject and that is an amazing linguistic turn where the poet has become a painter who has painted a portrait of their love and it hangs within their own heart and is so attractive that the son desires to look. But he ends it with this couplet that says that he wants more than what he has experienced so far, which is still only visual, only surface. He wants to know the heart. Sonnet 24. Mine eye hath played the painter and hath stilled thy beauty's form in table of my heart. My body is the frame wherein tis held. In perspective, it is best painter's art. 
For through the painter must you see his skill, to find where your true image pictured lies, which in my bosom's shop is hanging still, that hath his windows glazed with thine eyes. Now see what good turns eyes for eyes have done. Mine eyes have drawn thy shape, and thine for me are windows to my breast, where through the sun delights to peep, to gaze therein on thee. Yet eyes this cunning want to grace their art. They draw but what they see, know not the heart. Okay, Sonnet 25, finishing up today's Changing the Conversation session. Sonnet 25, let those who are in favor with their stars of public honor and proud titles boast, whilst I, whom fortune of such triumph bars, unlooked for joy in that I honor most. Great princes, favorites, their fair leaves spread. But as the marigold at the sun's eye, and in themselves their pride lies buried. For at a frown, they in their glory die. The painful warrior, famous for worth, after a thousand victories once foiled, is from the book of honor raised quite and all the rest forgot for which he toiled. Then happy I that love and am beloved, where I may not remove nor be removed. Okay, this is an interesting social critique of politics and conflict of Worrying and worrying about fighting. Let those who are in favor with their stars of public honor and proud titles boast, whilst I, whom fortune of such triumph bars, unlooked for joy in that I honor most. Great princes' favorites, their fair leaves spread. But as the marigold at the sun's eye, and in themselves their pride lies buried, for at a frown they in their glory die. The painful warrior, famous for worth, after a thousand victories once foiled, is from the book of honor raised quite, and all the rest forgot for which he toiled. Then happy I that love and am beloved, where I may not remove nor be removed. Uh, Shakespeare's making a case for the arts as a place that curates and collects love instead of conflict as a wiser strategy for making a longer contribution and being preserved. That fighting only counts when you win and when you lose it becomes meaningless the whole thing but by creating contributions 
to culture that people appreciate and value, there's a much more secure place that one can achieve, one can attain. This is in defense of poetry, in a way. Sonnet 25. Let those who are in favor with their stars of public honor and proud titles boast, whilst I, whom fortune of such triumph bars, unlooked for joy in that I honor most. Great princes' favorites their fair leaves spread, but as the marigold at sun's eye, and in themselves their pride lies buried, for at a frown they in their glory die. The painful warrior, famous for worth, after a thousand victories once foiled, is from the book of honor raised quite, and all the rest forgot for which he toiled. Then happy I that love and am beloved, where I may not remove, nor be removed. That's it for today, my friends. Thanks so much for giving a listen. If you're enjoying these sonnets, hang tight. We got we got a bunch more. About 130 more to go. So, it'll be an interesting process. And uh, thanks for joining me. Till next time, this is Jake J. Thomas of Jake J. Thomas Photo, becoming Jake Spear on Instagram. I hope you enjoyed those sonnets today. See you soon. Peace.